You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. All right, today is Transfiguration Sunday, and this is the last Sunday before Lent begins. And I feel that God truly has, like every Sunday, God gives me a word. But I, you can ask the coworkers that I'm around, I was obnoxiously intrusive this week because as an extrovert, as an Italian, as somebody who probably is hyperactive on clinical levels, when I get really excited, nobody gets work done ever. Nobody does. And I don't know how... Jacqueline Ian and Pastor Mark worked together before because like he would Mark would tell me that there were weeks where they didn't talk. I'm like, there hasn't been a 10-minute period of time where we don't talk. I found out we got intercoms on the phones. This is not good. I don't have to get up all over it this week. I don't even I honestly don't even know where to begin. I'm just gonna start talking about Jesus. Is that okay? we'll, We'll just read a very long text. It's Matthew 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And I told Ian not to put the verses up because I want you to hear this. Jesus is about to be transfigured before Peter, James, and John. He's about to show them his glory in a way that no other human has seen God's glory up to this point. And it says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And we have to stop because this is now a powder keg ready to explode of revelation and information about what is happening here. And it starts with the word after, after six days. And so the question is, six days after what? It's not just some random six days. This is how you have to read the Bible. When it says, and after six days, you need to say, I can't understand this text until I find out what happened six days ago. And six days ago, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, you're the son of God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but this is a revelation for you to be able to see me, Peter, and know that I am the son of God. I am God himself is a revelation from heaven. And then Jesus said, now that you know who I am, it should be fairly obvious. I'm now going to go, and I'm going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men for the life of the world. And Peter says, no, no, no. We just said that you're the son of God. You're not going to go and be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And the verse picks up here. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is an unbelievable text that we don't have the time to unpack. What I will start off by saying is this. It is only after Peter misunderstands who Jesus is that Jesus says you have to take up your cross and follow me. So the idea of self-denial, let me tell you what it is not. Self-denial, 
Taking up your cross kind of self-denial is not the self-denial you need when you want the extra slice of pizza and you know you shouldn't. Or you want to cuss at somebody and you know that you shouldn't. Or you want to gossip and you know that you shouldn't. Anytime you have a desire that can get you into trouble and you decide to not act on that desire the one time a year we decide not to act on those desires... When we, the moment of denying ourselves there, that's not the cross being taken. That's not what Jesus is talking about at all. Take up your cross and follow me is spoken after somebody misunderstands who God is. The only reason we have those other desires that we need to deny is because we misunderstand who God is. If we knew who God was, we wouldn't have the desire to do things that can bring destruction to our lives and other people's lives. Sidebar, when you give something up for Lent, you're supposed to give up something good and healthy. You don't give up cigarettes for Lent. You give up cigarettes because you care about your family and your heart, not because of Lent. How many, are you, do you all smoke or something? Like what is going on? Everyone looks mad at me right now. Should we have a conversation about this? You give up something good because we need to reorient ourselves with how we deal with good. All of the trouble we get in is because we mess up what's good. It's not, it's not that we get into bad things. It's that we overestimate good things and need them more than Jesus. And then they become bad things. Self-denial, taking up my cross, is not an issue of not doing what I want. It's an issue of saying, I don't understand who God is at all, and I need to reorient myself to who God is. That's what taking up our cross means. It's far more difficult than I just want to say that thing and I'm not going to say it. It's realizing day in and day out, right now, I don't know who God is the way that I should. And every day of my life needs to be spent getting to know him better so that I can know myself better. So whenever Peter denies Jesus on Good Friday, somebody says to him, you sound like you've been with Jesus, which is the kind of compliment we should all want to have, amen? And Peter says, I do not know the man. And then somebody says, well, your accent betrays you. And Peter says, I do not know the man. And then somebody says, but I've seen you. Weren't you with him tonight? And Peter says, I do not know the man. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, Every one of us are called by God to say, I do not know the man, except the man we should be talking about is ourself. We should always be saying, I don't know the man or woman, meaning ourself. I have to say, I don't know me. Because I still don't know him, because I'm the kind of person who thinks when he says he's God, that means he doesn't go die. And Jesus has to constantly say to us all the time, and you, you, he's got a phrase for you like he's got a phrase for me, and I'm not going to tell you what he says to me. It's just my own business. But he says, get behind me, Bill, because you're doing X, Y, and Z, and it's hindering me. Well, how is it hindering you, Jesus? Aren't you all-powerful? I'm also the church. And when you don't get me right... The church is hindered. And when my body's hindered, I'll say I'm hindered. So what does he do? He tells them to take up their cross. Understand, I want this to be a very simple point. We all need to take up our cross, but taking up our cross is equated to learning about God all over again. 
the longer you've been a Christian, the people who stood up for the 1986 altar call, like that moment that we had, the longer you've been a Christian, the harder taking up your cross is when taking up your cross has to do with reorienting yourself to the God that you've known for so long. When all, when all taking up your cross is, is willpower to not do bad things, then the longer you've been a Christian, you should be getting better at it. That wasn't sarcastic. You should be getting better at it. I really hope we're all getting better at it. But when it comes to what Jesus is actually talking about there, you don't know me. And when you speak about me the way that you just spoke about me, that's the devil's work. There's no middle ground here. We're either getting to know him better all of the time and not clinging to what we knew about him a long time ago. On Easter Sunday, we're going to hear Jesus say to Mary Magdalene, don't cling to me. And he's saying to her, you know me from before Friday, but I'm a much different me than I was before Friday. Don't cling to the me you've always known. You're going to miss the me that I am. The longer we've walked with him, some of you are here and you've gotten saved recently or you entered the church recently. I'm telling you right now, there's an enormous learning curve. I want you to hear this and pretend you're hearing this 30 years from now. The longer you walk with him, the harder it is to take up your cross because the more certain you are of who he is. I do not know the man is what we should always be saying of ourselves. And when we reorient ourselves to God, he says, let me tell you about you. Let me tell you who you are. But it's a daily reality because we live in liturgies everywhere we go. We live in a world that is captivating our imagination, our sense of smell, our sense of sight, our sense of hearing, our sense of touch. It's captivating all of it, and it's pulling us into a reality and telling us who we are. And if we just come here and throw our hands up to liturgy and say, we just got to have a good service, we're going to be more mesmerized and enchanted by the world that we see out there, and we're going to come here like Jesus is some Prada bag add-on when he's the very life we need to be in when we go out there. And the first place. So what does he say at the end of this story? He's about to take them up the mountain, but I want you to hear what he says at the end so we can understand what's happening in the middle. He takes them up after six days. Six days after he called Peter Satan, I think he waited six days so Peter would want to come up the mountain with him. That's my take. At the end of this, when they come down the mountain... And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision that you just saw until I've been raised from the dead. I couldn't think of a cooler Lenten text than that. Jesus is saying, I just showed you a vision, but hold the vision in yourself until Easter Sunday. I believe that God is going to talk to all of you in a unique way to you over the next 40 days. From Ash Wednesday until Easter Sunday, I believe God is going to talk to you about you and reveal things to you about you and teach you about you as he reveals himself to you. And I'm telling you right now, you are to tell no one of the vision until Easter Sunday. Hold on to it. You never hear me do this. You never hear me glorify the individual. But I really believe Lent is for that. 
This is for you, a season for you, the singular you, to go into your prayer closet and let God talk to you about you and you tell no one about what he says until after Easter. There's something about what Jesus, he revealed himself to them, we're about to talk about it, and then said, don't tell anybody about this until I've risen from the dead. Because sometimes when you prematurely tell people what God is talking to you about, it spoils because they need to experience a certain kind of life and a certain kind of resurrection to know you. Some of the reasons why people don't affirm you is because you're telling them about you too early and they haven't changed yet or had their own encounter with God to see the you that's affirmable. When we're trying to get affirmed on our own, we always spoil and prematurely deliver the us that really can be affirmed. We need to wait until God acts on somebody else's life, and then they'll see the real you. So we hold vision. We hold it for a while. So what vision? Let's take it piece by piece. So now, rewind, going back up. Dan Savage is obviously offended by everything I said. (laughs) And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. You could put the first graph up so people can have a sense of what we're dealing with here. Jesus is standing in the middle, and next to him is Moses and Elijah. Let me just make sure which one. Okay, Elijah's over here. Okay. Moses and Elijah. Law and judgment. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents judgment because the prophets are always telling the people what God is going to do because they didn't keep the law. So standing with Jesus is law and judgment standing with him. Law is the spirit that always says, this is the best life for you to live. This is the right way to live. And judgment is the voice always saying, so why aren't you? Law law is always saying, this is the way you live. And judgment is always saying, so why aren't you living that way? It gets to the point where law is always showing you the life that you can never live, the life that you always get wrong, and it's saying, stay down. Stay down. Every time you get up, you fail me. Stay down. And I want you to know, I am actually talking to you on individual levels because we both are under these gavels, and we all use these gavels. So there are areas in all of our lives where we feel like we can't stand up because every time we do, we know we're going to get it wrong again. And there's that voice that's saying, just stay down. But then there's that part of us that's also that voice in somebody else's life. Always ready to let you know when you fell again. And with that voice is the voice of judgment that says, you should be too afraid to try to get up. Do you know how God feels about you every time you mess up? Do you know what you do to your church every time you mess up? We live under that voice in certain areas, and if you say you don't, please write that on a card and put it on the altar on Ash Wednesday because everybody does. 
It's part of our broken condition is to live under the oppression of our own bad behavior. There's that voice that's constantly saying, stay down, and that voice that's saying, you know when you get back up again, you're just going to mess up again, so you should be terrified to get back up. And if you do get back up, you should be terrified to fail again. You know what could happen to your generations if you fail? You know what people might think about you, leaders in the church, if you fail? You know what people might, you might, you're, you might put your light under a bushel, like they said in the children's songs, and, and no one at work will see the light of Jesus if you keep living like that. Oh, you cursed. Oh, you said a bad word. Oh, you know, you made this huge mistake in your life. And now, look, you're not just ruining for you. You're ruining for everybody. And so the law is always saying, stay down. And judgment is always saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can even try to get back up, but if you you do get back up, you should be terrified. And so then you're like, okay, well, maybe I should stay down. And you live under these gavels of oppression, and the church has done it to people forever. This is the way you should be living. And you're not. So stay down. But if you're going to come here, you need to change. And live exactly this way. But you won't. But be afraid to stay down, because if you stay down, you're just going to be living in sin. I see you're up again. This is what we've done. Moses and Elijah, apart from Jesus, are dangerous. Law and judgment are dangerous apart from Jesus. But notice, Moses and Elijah are not talking to Peter, James, and John. They're talking to Jesus. They're talking to Jesus. Even Elijah, the one who proclaimed judgment, when he proclaimed judgment over Jezebel, got terrified of Jezebel and ran away. He called fire from heaven and killed like 800 people and then ran away from Jezebel. Men, women are terrifying. (laughs) Not all women. (laughs) Law apart from Christ says stay down. Judgment apart from Christ itself gets afraid, let alone produces fear in others. So what happens next? These, this law and judgment are talking to Jesus. What happens next? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. Nice, Peter. That's obvious. You did a good job understanding that. If you wish, I will make three tents here. With what? I will make three tents here. One for you. That's where he should have stopped. Because Jesus plus anything equals idolatry. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. God interrupts him, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, not these are my beloved people. Now keep in mind... There's still three of them talking, but God only talks to Peter, James, and John about Jesus, not about Moses and Elijah. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Not listen to them. 
Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Number one, when you live under law and judgment, I'm going to get this wrong the whole day. When you live under law and judgment, you end up living like those are your taskmasters. So you find yourself in a good, amazing place like a vision. And immediately you say, what can I do to keep this vision here? Brother, you didn't do anything to get the vision to start. What makes you think you can do something to keep it? But the implication is we did something good to get this to happen, so we need to keep doing something good to maintain it, and that is the exhausting legalistic taskmaster of religion gone bad. It wasn't, I can't believe you're showing us this. It was, what can we build to keep it as if we build something to start it? And they want to build tabernacles, which is fantastic because you can't build what Jesus already is. Satan says to Jesus, if you're the son of God, turn stone into bread. Satan, I don't need to make what I already am. I am the bread of life. I don't have to make it. I am the tabernacle. You can't build me. When Jesus says, I'm going to tear down the temple in three days, they get mad and say, it took us 40 years to build this. Calvary, the cross, Good Friday is the day that Jesus destroys all the tabernacles we try to make to contain him and keep him in some kind of order. But do you see the legalistic spirit in Peter? I need to build something for a few wrong reasons here. Number one, I'm going to put you, Moses, and Elijah on the same playing field. Mistake one. Mistake two, I could build something that can contain a vision I couldn't produce. That's controlling. But trust me, this Lent, God is going to show you where you're trying to build tabernacles to control other people. Watch this. Whenever somebody who's struggling in your life does something good, how many people are praying for somebody right now that, that God would heal them or something, something, some kind of way? Nobody over here. Maybe pray for them. Listen, every time somebody you're praying for shows a sign that they might be possibly considering an iota of what you've been talking to them about, we rush in like the FBI and try to get them to run 100 yards directly into the end zone, and they end up saying, see, this is why I don't talk to you about anything. Every time we see somebody do something good, we want to build a tabernacle and stay right here. Every time something good happens in our life, we want to build a tabernacle around it and keep it there. But you can't build what Jesus already is. You can't build success when he is your success. You can't build relationships when he is your relationship. You can't build health when he is your health. You can't build security when he is your security. And every time you try to build what he already is for you, he will destroy it and think and make you think that he has left you or forsaken you when really he's showing you you. Moses gets kicked out of Egypt because he murdered a guy, and now he's a shepherd. And we say, 
He had to go through that season of suffering as a shepherd. But why do we call that suffering? Watch this. That's who Moses is. Moses doesn't know that he was born Hebrew. He was raised in an environment that was normalized for him, but it was never who he was. And then when God took him out of it and put him in the environment where he fits, we say he suffered. Sometimes suffering isn't something worse happening to you. It's God taking you from the falsity of what you thought was good and putting you into what is really actually you, and we got to stop calling it suffering at all. I'm really going through it. No, you're not. You're just disconnecting from what wasn't real of you and true of you in the first place. We always want to go back to it, though. Whenever you're in something that is renaming you, abusing you, telling you who you are, and using you for your own produce, it can begin to feel blessed because abusers bless you so that you can keep producing. When you get broken from it, there is always the desire to go back to legalism. Pastor, why don't you talk more about sin? Pastor, why don't you preach on our stances more? We all want to get brought back here because building tabernacles gives you a sense of control. It gives you a sense of measurability. In the ambiguous world of case by case, living with Jesus going to all the places that Jesus goes to, sometimes that feels better. But it's not true of us. The church is the body of Christ. We're called to be shepherds, not contractors. We're called to walk people through the dirt of life and feed them. Not create trellises and just yell at the sheep from a distance from a megaphone. Some of you think you're suffering, and you're not suffering. You're just detoxing from the falsity that you've been living in. So what happens? <laughs> the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. The law, the law, the mall, what? The, the law came through Moses. Grace and truth came from Jesus. And here's what you need to realize. If law and judgment are not talking to Jesus, they're damaging. But when law and judgment find the rightful place in Jesus, they become life-giving. Law and judgment alone will take life. Jesus is the only life where law and judgment can give life because Jesus is the perfect life where law and judgment took life. So when Moses and Elijah are hidden in Christ and Christ speaks, he's speaking what law and judgment should sound like coming from God, not coming from us. So watch what happens. They're on the ground and they're terrified. 
But Jesus came and touched them, saying, The law says stay down. Judgment says be afraid of trying to get up. But when law and judgment speak through Jesus, he says rise and have no fear. When those gavels hit, but they hit in Jesus, what was saying stay down now says rise. And what was saying be afraid of getting back up says have no fear. Rise and have no fear is the calling of the church to the world. Everything we do and everything we say as people has to be our own unique embodied way of saying, rise and have no fear. Well, pastor, are you saying there's no standards? Rise. I'm telling you to rise from something. If there were no standards, then staying down would be fine. There are standards. There are Christian morals. There are ethics. But the way we associate with them cannot be stay down or else. It has to be rise. You can rise. You're capable of rising. Greater is he who is in you than he who knocked you down last. You can rise. And when you rise... You will fall again. You will fall again. You will mess up again. But have no fear, because the minute you fall, he's going to be here saying, rise and have no fear. That's the message. That's what we should get excited about. Rise and have no fear. But I'm going to fall again. Well, rise again. That is the Christian message. They open their eyes and don't see anybody but Jesus. But it's not because Moses and Elijah have disappeared. It's because they're in him now. And they only hear Jesus. Not because Moses and Elijah aren't talking. But because their voice is Jesus' voice. The way we execute judgment and standards has to be through the voice of the one who is forever and always saying, rise and be not afraid. Some of you are under the gavel of stay down and be afraid. All of us use the gavel of stay down and be not afraid. We don't think we do here. But when somebody who hit you in life falls, it feels really good to say, stay down or else. You fell because of what you've done. Parents, sometimes God's going to show you that cause and effect. Brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes God's going to show you that cause and effect. Sometimes I do hit the ground. Because of what I've done wrong. It's not that you can't tell me that. It's just that how you tell me needs to convey rise and be not afraid. 
It's not that you can't say, go and sin no more. It's not that you can't say, hey, what you're doing right now isn't right. It just needs to be said in a tone and tenor of rise and be not afraid. What does Jesus do after this Mount of Transfiguration? He takes the disciples down the mountain and they start healing people who are sick and have demons. Law and judgment want to build structures, alienate it from the people that Jesus wants to come down the mountain and touch. And Jesus is saying, you cannot build up here because our job is down there. Our job is always where the people are. It's almost a song from Cheers, isn't it? We want to be where the people, whatever. Come down the mountain. We all know in 40 days he's going to climb another mountain. And watch this. When they see that, they saw the transfiguration. When they see the disfiguration on Good Friday, notice nobody is saying let's build tabernacles that day. But that's the mountain Christ told us to come up and build on. He wants us to build on the mountain of, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the mountain he wants us to build on. (laughs) Listen, hold on. Before we clap, this could be the Holy Spirit or the worst day the teachers have ever had. (laughs) How many people got kids down there right now? Let me go long for you because they sound crazy down there and I don't want to. That's, that's really it. I, <laughs> that's so amazing. We, honestly, and it's just, it's funny. Like, God is a jerk and interrupts me like that, but he's 100% right. Like, it's, it's, it's what Barbara said when she was talking about facial expressions and the way we act even toward the least of these, the children. Do we live a rise and be not afraid life? Sophia would be a witness against me right now that I usually live a stay down and be afraid, but you're cute too, but you're cuter when you're not running around, so stay down and be afraid. Like, that's kind of, we have to realize that these gavels over our lives are lifted. No one can say to you, stay down and be afraid, because Jesus fell and didn't stay down. The psalm this morning in the Book of Common Prayer said, there's no praise among the dead. There's only silence. Until Jesus went there. (laughs) And then that changed. But we can't receive that and then still want to swing these gavels at other people. Let's stand to our feet this morning. We're about to come to a table where we see brokenness, and the brokenness exists because law and judgment smashed him to pieces. 
But when we reach our hands into that basket and receive the bread and the cup, it's the beginning of grace and truth existing where law and judgment used to be. It's the way that Jesus executes his law and judgment is by saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I want to say, wait, I did know what I was doing. And the Holy Spirit's like, just, 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 he just said, forgive them for he knows not what he does. Don't make your case worse. Just stop talking. Like a good lawyer, the Holy Spirit's like, don't say anything. Just let him say what he's going to say. It's going to be good for you. Father God, I personally love it when you give a message like this and we don't know, I don't know what to do with it. When it seems like it doesn't end, it's just time to stop. With everybody's eyes closed, and I I ask that you really do that, please close your eyes. Everybody in the room, just close your eyes for a moment. I just want to know, it's been tugging at me all week. First of all, if there's anybody here who either isn't walking with the Lord and you're feeling like, you know what, I want to step into that release where law and judgment turns into grace and truth. If that's you, I just, I just, I'm not going to call you up to the front. I just want you to raise your hand just to see if there's anybody here who hasn't walked with the Lord or you want to rededicate your life to the Lord again. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Please know it won't feel true, but it is true that you now live under the gavels of grace and truth because law has turned into grace and judgment has turned into what's true of Christ over your life. And if there's anybody here where you are walking with the Lord, but you feel that you've just been stuck in that nasty courthouse of the knowledge of good and evil, getting it right, getting it wrong, and when you're getting it right, it's fear-based, and when you're getting it wrong, it's just discouraging time after time. If you're stuck in that space, would you just raise your hand this morning? Heavenly Father, you see these hands lifted all over the room. You didn't call us to live this way. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you take over where everything else from this point on will fail, coming out of my mouth. And I just ask that you would convey to your people and assure them of your love and your forgiveness. I sat with a woman who was passing away Friday. And I placed my hand on her head and I said, Lord, I pray that you would release my sister of any regret and any guilt and assure her of your love and forgiveness. I said that because I was trained in that moment that that is the prayer that a person who's getting ready to go be with the Lord needs to hear. And I left thinking, if that's the last thing we need to hear in our life, Every one of us in this room needs to hear it all the time. The last thing we need to hear is the thing we always need to hear. And that is God assuring us of his love and his forgiveness. And it starts in this meal where Jesus' brokenness heals our brokenness. Father God, we offer you this bread. We offer you this cup. I thank you for the people who've prepared it for us today from the people who've purchased it to the people who cut it and poured it and got it ready. I thank you for them. I thank you that they represent all of us, offering you this bread and this cup. 
we raise it to you, all of us, we raise it to you and ask that you would descend on common boring elements of bread and juice and that you would make what is broken and seemingly useless, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And I pray that you would do that so we know that when Jesus raises us up to you, Father God, you can take these broken lives and turn them into something far more than we could ask or think. We pray, Father God, that you would forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and allow us to come to your table freely and with joy. In your precious name we pray, and everybody said, the ushers will release you from the back to the front. Everyone is welcome to the table this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.